0: You are listening to Scoop B
2: Radio. What's going on? I hope wherever you're listening from, you and your loved ones are safe during this COVID-19 period. Hey, this is the producer of Scoopy Radio, DJ, DJ Manio. 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 I would just like to take the time out to give a big thanks for the listeners to the pod. We did record numbers last month. So on behalf of Scoopy and myself, thank you for the four years of supporting Brandon on this media journey. If you have a few minutes to spare, please fill out a short listener survey. Go to scoopyradio.com/poll. You can also share your opinions about the show so we know what works and what we can do better. That's scoopyradio.com/poll. S-C-O-O-P. The letter B. R-A-D-I-O. Dot com slash p-o-l-l. Don't worry if you didn't catch any of that. The link will be in the description.
0: You're listening to
1: Scoop B Radio with Brendan Robinson. E-K
0: Manny Manny
1: Scoopy Radio You know what's official if Barry Bond said, yo The best in the business, that's word Scoop. You either tune in, in or reading the word from Scoop. Yeah. The business, he show you the proof. If Scoop D say it, you know it's the truth. Sports and entertainment, he give you the mix. Some of the biggest interviews, he give you the fix on iTunes, the number one podcast, the Joint and the journalists, the goats so of Y. Watch out, watch out. If, watch out. About it, if he naming them, Scoop do numbers like Chamberlain pin game is a gift got the gift to gab if he say this gospel it's as simple as that now pay attention and you can see the way it go enough of this talking this is scoopy radio you're listening to scoopy
0: radio get on his instagram now at follow Scoop
1: him B. at scoopy follow him yes sir. scoopy Scoop radio, radio. on the plane on the train everywhere you need to be. I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Scoop B. Instagram and Snapchat at Scoop underscore B. And make sure, most importantly, that you subscribe to the Scoop B Radio podcast, which is available on all podcasting networks, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn app, Stitcher app, or simply by visiting ScoopBradio.com, independently produced and 2.1 million streams last year. One of the reasons why is because we have newsmakers, We'll make it happen, and it's no different here. It's on the line right now. We have Tiki Barber. Tiki, welcome to Scoopy Radio. What's up, brother? I'm good. How are you, man? I'm trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And aren't, aren't we all right? Yeah. We're all hustling right now, trying to figure out how life is going to proceed. And whenever this thing allows us to be out and about again, for sure, for sure, Tiki Barber. Uh, the 76th pick in the 1997 NFL draft, three time Pro Bowler, uh, with the New York Giants. Uh, I'm curious, man. 97, I've always said 96, 97 from a cultural perspective, a music perspective, a sports perspective was a good year. Hmm. Um, you were drafted in 97. Yep. Michael Jordan's last season, uh, the 97, <laughs> 98 season. You've been born in the house and in the house board. Did you check The Last Dance out? I did watch The Last
2: Dance. How could you not? I mean, Michael Jordan is one of the icons in the world of sports. And to get an inside look, was it was worth seeing, man. Because as much as we think we know about Michael Jordan, I don't think I realized how hard he was on his teammates. I mean, I knew he was a winner, but I didn't think he was that hard on his guys. Um, And I, I enjoyed it, man. You relive uh, one of the iconic dynasties in sport, and you know Michael's a great, central character. He shows some emotion. Um, you know, I tell you, one thing I walked away with, wondering, and I don't, I don't know if whoever knows this answer is, was he like happy? Like, did he, did he really enjoy it, or was he still, uh, you know, even to this day, spiteful about some of those things? He's mm-hmm. a billionaire a couple times over. He's got six championships. I mean, he's revered. Um, but I wonder. I, I I couldn't figure it out. Like, is he happy with, with like his life?
1: Because I mean, I would be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Who was the NFL's Michael Jordan? Was it? Is it Tom Brady?
2: Scoop B. Radio. Uh, I mean, if you want to put apples to apples like that, meaning someone who achieved as much and but had this that same kind of attitude, it it wouldn't be Tom. I mean, the success side would be Tom. But I don't know who's who's had that much success that had that kind of attitude. Maybe Ray Lewis was that this way. You know, Ray was mm-hmm. intense, man. I mean, Ray Ray made it hard on on everybody. But uh, most of those guys, who, those Ravens teams, came with him. You know, they got it. They understood it. Mm-hmm. Uh, football being a physical sport like it is, and if you if you don't have that that I'm going to you know rip your heart out mentality. There was just no way to be successful over time, but Ray did it for a long time and won a couple championships. So, I'd probably say Ray on the intensity side, but on the success side, it definitely would be Tom Brady.
1: Is there any way that you could be a successful athlete and be a nice guy at the same time? <laughs> That's a good question, man. Uh
2: It depends on the sport, right? In, in like in football, there's so many moving parts that. You know, you can have the greatest quarterback in the history of the world, but if your defense is deficient or you have a kicker that can't make, you know, extra points, you're not going to ultimately win. And we end up remembering the winners, not necessarily the guys that are greatest. And so football is different because there's so many variables involved. Um, Basketball, I think you can be. I mean, I think LeBron's a nice guy. He comes off as is is someone who you want to hang out with. I mean, he has his crew, the Band of Boat crew, you know, Carmelo, mm-hmm. Chris Paul. Like, they hang out. They drink wine. They have a good time. Um, he's, he's He seems like he's good to his teammates, even though he's hard on them. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. But he, he seems like he's good to them. So, I, yeah, I think you can. It just depends on the sport. You're a twin brother. I know the twin questions get um, kind of <laughs> – Oh, I, love him, is, I love them. I love though. <laughs> yeah, but I want to put it in a different direction. So, sticking with the theme of basketball, um, Lonzo Ball has brothers. Uh, yep. Lamelo will likely be drafted uh, whenever there's an NBA draft. Uh, the Holiday brothers, just three of them in the NBA, and you know, mm-hmm. the combo clan is is growing by the day. Even <laughs> I and didn't the, realize there was that video. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Giannis. It's his brother that plays for the Lakers, and then I think there's another one. Yep. Um, what advice do you have specifically for the balls, the yeah. holidays, and uh, the compo brothers as it relates to competing against your brother in pro sports? Yeah. So I, I only did it a,
2: like four times, I think, within against my brother in the NFL. And in 10 years for me, he played 16 years, but we only really played four times, um, because he, he didn't play in a couple of games early. Right. Um, so, but the advice is, is, I would give is play it up as much as you can because it's a, you know, life and for athletes these days is so much about branding. And it's also about, you know, being successful and doing your thing and getting your contract and everything else. But it's also about branding and differentiating yourself and making yourself stand out. And when you have a brother, for me, it was a twin brother. So it really stood out. But when you have a brother, And people just naturally are going to gravitate to the blessed nature of your family. You have Mm -hmm. two two brothers playing on a professional level. Play it up, man. I'll, I'll give you an example. So. Uh, the first, I think it was 2000 or maybe 99 or 2000 when me and my brother played. And it was down in Tampa Bay and I was the third down back. and He was he was starting a corner and playing in the nickel. So we would come off, we we would match up against each other every now and then. And I remember running to the sideline. I caught a pass out of the backfield and I, you know, picked up three or four yards. and He comes in at the end and just like hammers me as I'm going down <laughs> to the ground.
1: <laughs> I'm like, oh, bro, I'm like, what the hell is that
2: for? And he's like. He's like, chill out, man, I'm just trying to make it look good. I <laughs> am like, Man, you were a fool. <laughs> but 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 you know what? He was on to something. It, it, it was kinda it was right. You know, he uh you play it up. You you enjoy that moment because you, the reality is we, we were blessed, right? For twins to, you know, play through high school and in college and both get drafted and then have the careers that we had in the NFL. I mean, that just doesn't happen very often, and so enjoy it, embrace it, and and, and let the story be told.
1: Roanoke, Virginia's own Tiki Barber on the line. I visited Roanoke once. I like the star. Yeah, yeah, the star city of the South, man. It used to be a, a growing city.
2: And then, uh, the railroad left and, and a lot of the commerce that would go through there kind of went away. But it's, it's, it's coming back. It's stabilized because of the hospitals that are there. There's a couple of, uh, uh, systems, uh, medical systems that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a great place to grow up because there's not a lot to get in trouble with. You know right. what I mean? There's not, there's no big city. There's no, you know, you, you're going to get lost in the whatever in the weeds somewhere. It doesn't really exist. And so. We had, we had a good upbringing and I think it, uh, it helped shape us to the people that we are now.
1: I remember taking trips to the Shonies while I was out there. (laughs) From here, moved out there and Shonies was like the spot. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's the thing in a place like Roanoke. Like, like we hung out at Hardee's. You know
2: what I mean? When when yeah. blockbuster when blockbuster was still around, we'd go to blockbuster or just you know, maybe one of our friends would have a job there. And be like, hey, well, what movies can we get? You know what I mean? What movies aren't selling that we could take home uh, because, because somebody was working there. I mean, you, you hung out at the mall. You did was no so like. There was no hood. There was no like bad places to hang out. It was just, it was all good. We developed a lot of great friendships. You know, trying to live life.
1: Tell me something. With the conversations about the failure of the Rooney Rule, do you think Lewis Riddick would have been a better GM for the Giants? Um, it's a good question.
2: I'm I'm gonna say no only because I know Dave Gettleman well. He was assistant when I was when I was there, uh, and he's no nonsense. And I think for what the Giants needed, right? Because for a long time um, before Coach Coughlin with Jim Fossil and and Ernie Accorsi and, and George Young before them, in, in that that Coughlin era, for most of that Coughlin era, um, it was. I mean, it was sound, right? You knew what the Giants philosophy was. You knew what kind of players they were drafting. There was, it was high character and guys who would work hard. Like, mm-hmm. you, you knew it. And then there was a point, um, right at near the end of, of Coach Coughlin's tenure. And then we got Ben McAdoo and, and then, and, 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 um, and Pat Shermer where it's kind of like, what, what are the Giants standing for? Like, what, what, are, what is they, what do they, what do they mean? Like, what's the message? What's the, what's the philosophy? And so, I think they needed someone who was previously familiar with the success that the Giants had. Dave Gettleman certainly was that guy and someone who was going to hammer home a philosophy and, and, and not compromise on it. And we started to see that. And it took a couple of years, but the drafts have been solid the last, the last two. And we've got some potential superstars, one in Saquon Barkley, obviously, uh, and Daniel Jones, uh, if he, if he, uh, develops like a lot of people think he will. I, I think that Dave and the Giants brought that consistency, to purpose back. Um, could Lewis Riddick have done that? Yeah, of course he could have, and and I have ton of respect for him. Um, but he didn't have a familiarity with the old system, you know, the Wellington Mara and Bob Tisch system of running that team. Dave did.
1: What's the feeling for Saquon
2: Barkley? Right now, I mean, he's he's living it, and but you know it's interesting because he gets compared to at least success wise to some of the things that I did in my career. And if he stays with the Giants, I mean, my records have no chance, man. He's gonna he's gonna run through them. But it's interesting because it took me about four years to figure it out. Like 2000 or so, I've started to figure it out. 2001, how to be consistent, how to stay healthy, how to be uh, a reliable contributor. Saquon had that from day one. Mm-hmm. Right? and and if you if you start you know if you get it like you know the proverbial get it from day 1 and you have great success he was rookie of the year and i can't remember if he led the league in rushing that year but he was he was right up there um the next thing that you want is team success and so After one year, rookie of the year, second year, he had a little bit of a setback, mainly because of that high ankle sprain that kept him on the field for a couple of weeks. And he, you know, he battled it and you know, he played, but he battled it and he finally started to get right at the end. But now going into year three, it's like. All right, we need to win. You know what I mean? It's like I, I, we've got this from this side of, of of our team. We got you know pieces on the defensive side of the team. We got a quarterback who we all believe in. Uh, we got a coach and Joe Judge who seems no nonsense and tells it like it is. We got to start winning. And so if I'm Saquon, in my mind, I'm saying, when are we winning? Right? It's not like yeah, we got to build another year. Oh, we need to you know once we get this in the draft, I mean, that, that's that's got to go out the door. Um, and, and it's on him, right? Because when you think about who's, who TV is the leader there, radio. it's him. They're a young team, the New York Giants. Uh, Nate Solder's in 30 years old, but he's a tackle. Um, it's Saquon's got to be that leader. Daniel Jones has got to follow. Uh, and hopefully it leads to wins.
1: And you mentioned Daniel Jones. You're, you're very honest about quarterback, sir. Uh, yeah. do you think Daniel Jones is the Giants' guy.
2: You know what? If, if I hadn't played with Eli, and seen the success that Eli had in the New York market because the market absolutely matters, right? If I hadn't seen it with Eli, I would have told you, yeah, he's too timid, man. He doesn't have that fire. He doesn't have that 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 um, you know, get up and scream at you. I'm a, I'm your leader um, uh, quality. But what we've seen in New York, and we saw with Eli, we're seeing a little bit with Sam Donald with the New York Jets and Daniel Jones has the same philosophy, there's so much noise in this New York area, this metropolitan area, that if you let it affect you and let it affect your emotion, then you have no chance of being successful. New York sports will chew up and spit you out if you're you're thin-skinned. And what I think Daniel has shown is that, like Eli, any criticism can roll off his back. The praise, kinda of does as well, right? He he recognizes it and we know how good he is and can be, but you can't buy into it because it's like a setup in New York, right? They set you up, they build you up, you get up on that pedestal and as soon as you take a misstep, I mean, it's it's not even like two or three chops before the tree comes down. You know what I mean? So I, I think he's got the right mentality for this market. Uh so yeah, I do think he can be the guy. He's got the skill set, he's athletic. Um, and if the offense, you know, take the tailors around his skills, I, I think he'll definitely be successful.
1: You've seen Derek Jeter handle it well. You, yep, seen Carmelo Anthony, despite the Knicks kind of losing, uh, but having a playoff appearance in 2013, handle it well. And Eli, uh, handled it very well. That's right. A million, million dollar question. Is Eli Manning a first ballot Hall of Famer? Oh, that's a great question.
2: Um, He is a Hall of Famer. There's no doubt about it. The question about first ballot is timing. Because think about the peers that he's going in around. Um, And I think he maybe has an an, an advantage because he's not going to align with his brother, Peyton, who retired a couple years before. He's not going to align with uh, Drew Brees, who's still playing, or Tom Brady. And so he might get fortunate because he is a Hall of Famer. And come into a class that doesn't have a quarterback waiting, you know what I mean? Doesn't have a guy who's a guaranteed Hall of Famer waiting. And it's interesting because this conversation comes up all the time. Is Tom is is is, is Tom Brady better than Eli? Yeah, you could say Tom Brady is but is better than Eli, even though Eli beat him twice in the Super Bowls. Is, is is Eli better than his brother? I mean it's debatable, right? They had the same number of success in the Super Bowls, but Peyton Manning was this iconic player. And so when you start comparing Eli to his peers, the you know, Peytons and Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers and Tom and Tom Brady's. You could probably put them all above Eli, but when it comes to the Hall of Fame, it's all about timing and the narrative uh, around your timing. I think Eli might be a first ballot Hall of Famer because he hits
1: he hits the uh, the finalist list at the right time. No, that's real. Tom Brady signed with the Bucks. Do you love it or hate it? Oh, I love it, man. <laughs> Y'all, it's funny. I talked to my brother who's actually played golf with him. He's like, he's the chillest
2: dude you could ever imagine um, uh, down there in Tampa. But mm-hmm. when, I, when he first signed, I was like, like, what does this mean? He's like, it's, it's simple, bro. For the first time in a long time, maybe since John Gruden was there back in early two thousands, 2002, and two, three, when they won that Super Bowl, people care about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? You're a talking point. or a conversation point. There's an expectation above mediocrity, like significantly above mediocrity for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. And that alone is worth signing Tom Brady. Now, given the fact that they are stacked offensively with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. And then now Rob Gronkowski is there. They got three good tight ends. So those Howard and Cameron great. Uh, so they can, they can, the versatility of this offense is going to be, you know, amazing. I love Bruce Arians. I literally have known him since the day I was born because he and my father were graduate assistants at Virginia tech uh, back in 1975. Uh, mm-hmm. he's, the, he's the coolest dude in the room with his tangle And you know he, <laughs> he, 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 he He'll have a scotch with you and tell you how it is. Hey, son, you know what? You're, you're messing up. Or, or, son, great job. Let's go celebrate. right? And I think it's, it's a great environment for Tom to wind out his career and have some fun. You know, a lot of people ask, you know, why did Tom leave New England? Maybe he just want to have some fun. It's great to win, but sometimes you want to have fun doing what you're doing. And they're going to have a lot of it down there. And I think they're going to have some success,
1: despite the fact that it's probably the toughest division in football right now quite tough, tough, quite tough. Scoopy Radio, Radio on the line with T.T. Barber, uh, talking all things NFL, The Lat Dance, and golf. Uh, subscribe to Scoopy Radio on all streaming platforms. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: it was interesting to watch The Last Dance where you saw Dennis Rodman slapping Carmelo's butt in the finals. And then, <laughs> and then he tweeted about it and was like, man, i slapped slap somebody's butt. <laughs> And I get, I get, I get charged. I get, yeah. what's up? Right. I, get, I get arrested, right? <laughs> <laughs> different
2: era, man. That's oh, for sure. I mean, we are so litigious these days. It's like, come on. There was, there was no malice of forethought. What uh, Odell Beckham was doing around, you talking about the LSU championship uh, when he was down there. I mean, yeah, maybe he was a little bit, you know, high on something, inebriated. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, but that, I mean, he's celebrating his alma mater's victory. I mean, yeah. LSU was, I mean, they've been good, but they've never been, like, dominant. And, like, if you're an alum, you just, you, you, you revel in that, man. And he's one of the great alums from LSU. And so, I mean, I get it. Yeah. It but, you know, back in the Last Dance era, the Dennis Rodman and Carl uh, Malone era, it was just different, man. It was like – I mean, they had fights. Remember the, the malice and the power? Like, they had these, like, That changed everything. That changed the world, bro. <laughs> it's a world of sports, man. I think it was like – for the first time ever, a fan realized you have no business being in an altercation with a professional athlete. Right. And so, but, but that was the era that, it, that, that this, this last dance um, was in. And, you know, you could get away with being off the wall a little bit and, you know, throwing pans or being passive aggressive and all these other things And today's society, because it's so social media influenced and exposed Anything you do, even if it's benign, gets blown out of proportion, and you can't you can't control the narrative, right? You can't you can't you know. Well, this is what actually happened. It doesn't matter because people are going to say what happened, at least what they think happened, Um, and 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 it kind of gets out of out of hand. You know, it's funny because we're all locked in. We end up like watching stuff on you know these streaming platforms, and my wife and I started watching. The great on Hulu. I don't know if you've heard mm-hmm. of this, Joe. It's about yeah. Catherine the great, um, and her husband, Peter, who was Peter the Great's son, but he's mm-hmm. kind of a, a doof. Um, he's a doofus in a sense. And she wants to take over the country. And so there's a point where Russia and Sweden are at war and the two, the two leaders of the countries, Peter and I forget the Swedish uh, president's name meet and the wife, of the Swedish um, president says, or emperor says, the first and says, no matter what happens, the first lie wins. You know what I mean, mm. right? The first lie wins. Uh, and so, like I think about social media these days, if if a lie gets out there or something gets out there, it's it's going to win. You know, it's hard to like overtake it. And, and so, when a narrative gets out there about a player, it's really hard to change it, even if it's not true.
1: Yeah. Look at J. R. Smith with the right. people had a perception that he was one way and he was fighting that as he was getting tryouts for the Lakers and other places. That's
2: right. And it's and it's not fair because J R's a baller. You know yeah. what I mean? He had one aloof moment uh in a in a in a in a postseason game. And it's like it, it defined him. And that's not
1: yeah. that's not who he
2: is, man. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I want to go back to Od- Odell Beckham because you talked about branding and you, and you related to your brother about, you know, basically melting it for all that you can get because you have a certain amount of time on the field to play. Yeah. Um, you saw Odell with the watch. He, uh, this season was about was Genius and you just see Odell being Odell. Yep. Um, I'm curious from your perspective, if he were to leave Cleveland, what team would he fit on like a glove? Oh, good question.
2: Dallas, maybe? Um, a team that could handle the, and, and it's used to handling big egos like that. Mm-hmm. Dallas would be ideal. I would hate it though, because pain, <laughs> pain <came, laughs> from my Giants right. twice, twice a year. And it, and it might be the kind of move that would put them over the top. Even they don't need them. I mean, they're, they're, the Cowboys are so deep right now. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at wide receiver with um, Amari Cooper, and they just drafted, uh, CD Lamb. Um, and help. Michael Gallup is good as well. So I mean, they they don't need him, but Dallas would would fit him because of the of the their ability to absorb egos like that. Other than that, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to think of a team that fits like his personality um, from a coaching standpoint, from a you know other players on that team standpoint. Um, yeah, it's hard. it's hard. Dallas is the only one that jumps to mind.
1: Here, Why it's crazy as it's crazy as it sounds? It's the Cowboys, man. Why do you think he didn't fit with the Giants? Was it more from a structure perspective or from a personality perspective?
2: Um, you know, I'm, when this happened, when this trade happened a couple of years ago. I was one of the first to think, and at least I posited this. I said, "I think Odell wanted to be traded." I know it's being positioned as the Giants it's are getting rid of uh, getting rid of a headache. Put that in quotes. But I, I felt like Odell wanted out of New York because it was becoming so much of a distraction, and um, he felt, and, and he even said this that the structure of the offense with an aging Eli, uh, a compromised offensive line. He wasn't going to ever reach his fullest potential with with the Giants as they were currently constructed. Now the the crazy thing is, if he would have hung on for another year and Daniel Jones comes in and you start to build some of these weapons around him, if like Odell Beckham was was with Giants right now, I mean, forget it. Talk about skill with him and Saquon and Daniel Jones. And, uh, I mean, it, it would have it would have been it would have been sick, right? Uh, Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton who had a good season last year. Uh, it, 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 it's a shame, um, but ultimately, why I think it didn't work is because he got bigger, like his brand. His brand it got bigger than the brand that was on the field, and that's just really it's, it becomes untenable.
1: Do you think Antonio Brown will play this coming season?
2: I do think he will, and I think he probably will play with the with the Baltimore Ravens. Um, it just feels like his messaging. His personal messaging has changed. Um, I mean, it, would I would I trust that fully? Probably not, just because his, his history has shown uh, that he gets erratic at times. But he's got a relationship there, obviously, because Hollywood Brown is his cousin. Um, and he seems like Lamar, um, uh, Lamar uh, Jackson and him have a good working relationship. Uh, John Harbaugh has even talked about the potential of it happening. So I do think he'll get a, a shot as long as he stays stable. Um, and I don't know if he's getting counseling or, or help, but his outbursts have ceased. And really, that's why that's what was keeping him out of the league. It was, it was you, you just couldn't trust what was going to come out of his. Well, really not out of his mouth, but really was going to come off of his, his Twitter account. Um, and I, I think if that calms, he
1: has an absolute a great chance to get back into the game. I feel like Sean Alexander is like the Tim Duncan of football. He was boring, oh, but he was effective.
2: Oh, oh. Brother from another mother. The dude stole my rushing title in 2005.
1: <laughs> you know this story? <laughs> no. You know I vaguely mean? I, 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 I was in college Bro. at that point, so some of that stuff I don't remember. Bro,
2: this, 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 this one hurts me, right? So okay. 2005 was a, was a great – I had a great season in 2005. I rushed for 1,800 yards and – I uh, had 560 or so receiving yards. So I was in 2,300 all-purpose yards. I mean, I, I it was the year for me. And I knew it was going to be because it was the season that Wellington Mara and Bob Tish, both of our owners, were sick. And we knew that they were going to pass away. And Coach Kaufman kept telling us, like, we are the team of records for Bob Tish and Wellington Mara. And so every game meant something to me. I, I mean, I rushed for three, 200 yards three times that season. Um And so going into our last game, that year we were playing the, uh, the Oakland Raiders, right. Mm-hmm. And so we're out in Oakland and, you know, I just, I crush it, man. I have like a hundred, hundred and um, you know, like 90, maybe, maybe actually I actually had over 200 yards that game. And, um, and I, and I jumped over Sean Alexander for the rushing lead. Now he was handling some personal business on the East coast. They hit their, their record was like, I don't know, 12 and or 13 and two at the time, like they, he he wasn't going to play. You know what I mean? He wasn't going to play that, that last game of the season, but he saw me on (laughs) rush for 200 something yards and jump over him. So he flew back home uh, and played in the last game and and, and ended up getting (laughs) (laughs) like 60 or (laughs) something yards and took the rushing title away from me. And and, like, we literally look alike. So whatever we see, we don't look uh, alike.
1: (laughs) <laughs> right, yeah, we agree. Great point. That's
2: a very good point. But I'm like I'm like, brother, like he, he stole
1: my rushing title. He's like, I couldn't let you have that. Because he thought it was his. Right? It was his it was his rushing title. Right. Yeah. And I went out
2: and rushed for two hundred and like eight yards or whatever it was and took it from him. Uh so he went and played that last game, even though he wasn't scheduled to play that last game uh okay. ended up taking the Russian title from me. I'll never forgive him for that.
1: <laughs> Objectively speaking though. Do you think that he's underrated? Oh, without
2: a doubt, man. There's no doubt. I mean, Sean Alexander was one of those players who was, first of all, he was big and reliable and, uh, and durable. And, I mean, he only played, what, nine years? I think he only played nine years. Granted, I only played 10. But there were, I mean, you look at his stats. I mean, he rushed for like 1,500 yards one year, and then the next year he rushed for, uh, yeah. 1700 and in the year that I was talking about, he rushed for 1800, beat me by a couple yards or whatever it was. Uh, he was just a man, and he, like this three-year span, he was as good of a player as there was in the National Football League. But then, it, I think he became a victim of, of two things: one, the wear because he missed a, some, a couple of games, and then two, of his contract because so much of his contract was incentive tied that like they didn't want him to hit his incentives and if you ask him about it it's like they, they were trying to like screw him out of somebody's incentives um and so yeah i do think he's he's underappreciated for for how good he was uh even though he didn't end up rushing for 10,000 yards because he ended up leaving and going to washington you know he played mm-hmm. a couple of games down there um but yeah for a, a three or four year period he was as good of a player as there was in the nfl
1: we be ready on the line with Tiki Barber. A few more questions. Do you like the Seattle Seahawks going into next season or this coming season? I do. I mean, at the end of the day, a team
2: that has a a, a, a quarterback who, interestingly, has never gotten a, uh, an MVP vote but is always in the MVP conversation. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's baffling the disrespect that Russell Wilson gets, maybe the most underrated quarterback in the NFL these days. Um, but a team that has a Russell Wilson who is always going to find a way to create and make plays happen has a chance uh in the in the n f l and so I like their team. I like that they've built up their their offensive line a little bit their run game has always been a a, a big part of it, but I think more importantly, Pete Carroll just like he's a he's a- he's a, ch- he's a chameleon man it's like no matter mm-hmm. what happens with his team and how the team evolves and changes around him. He he keeps this college feel, and that's hard to do in the NFL because it's it's a bunch of grown men making big big boy money, and you, you you're trying to you know keep them feeling collegiate, right? We're all in this together type of thing. It's not about I got to go get mine. I got to go get mine. It's like we're all in this together, and it stems from Russell Wilson obviously, but it's it's also Pete Carroll uh, and how he he manages this team and allows them to have some independence and autonomy. Right, it was famously famous uh, when they when they won their Super Bowl but that defense was like they were vicious with each other. I mean, forgets the opponents, but they right were vicious there. with each other, mm-hmm. uh, and they let it all hash out on the practice field or in the meeting rooms, so that you know there was never any like unsaid acrimony, and you know so much of that is leadership. So, given Russell, given Pete Carroll, I like where they sit. The challenge is just like the NFC South, which I said is a tough division, the NFC West. It's really tough because Arizona's coming. The Rams, I mean, they've been good for the last couple of years. I think the Rams may take a step back. But San Francisco was in the Super Bowl last year. They have good talent.
1: The NFC West is going to be one of the tougher divisions in football this year. And when you talk about Pete Carroll, you'll appreciate this reference because this was at the beginning of your career with the Giants. To me, when I look at Pete Carroll and you talk about that college atmosphere, I feel like Pete Carroll – with everything, John Calipari was supposed to be his first few years with the Nets when they were in New Jersey. When you had Right. Dan Horn and Jason that's Williams and right. Dan Cassell. I see that's a right. parallel between those two guys. That's a good w- I've
2: never thought of that, but that is a, it is a great analogy. Uh, because Coach Cal is, is the same way. Like, he's no BS. He's just going to tell you, right? I'm going to pit you against whoever you're competing against. The best man is going to play. I don't care what your status is. It's all about the team and winning. And when you lose, if you lose, lose out. You're still going to be a great uh, contributor for us, right? That it's it's hard to do that because egos start to take over, especially on the professional level. I think Cal has been so successful on the college level because he can employ that. And if you lose out and you and and, and you you have a bad attitude, then you're dude. You're like 12th man on the bench. Right. And so, you know, that in, in Kentucky, that you, you can be the sixth man. You're going to play, you know, 15 minutes a game. You know what I mean? It's not like you're going to play two minutes a game. And so he's been really good at dividing um, uh, up his talent, his tiers of talent, but making them all feel important.
1: Uh, and that's what Pete Carroll does as well. Kiki, were you really ready to retire physically, or did your relationship with Tom Coughlin make you want to retire when you did? I mean,
2: Tom—it was—he was such a small part of it. Uh, he was so hard on everybody, and it felt—you felt unappreciated at times. Um, but it was so much more than that. I mean, maybe he was the—the little—the last little straw that made me walk away from the game. But physically, I was be- getting beat up, man, and you know, it would—it would take me till Thursday to feel good again and i was getting massages on set on on um on on monday and then acupuncture and then i'd go get this art treatment this active release treatment and then, and then another massage on thursday and i was like all right now now i feel all right on friday and, and it's like a walkthrough practice and then you go get beat up again and it just starts over and it, w- it was just getting hard i mean the other thing is that my my life, like these experiences that were happening to me just were capturing my attention, um, whether it was going to Israel on the request and the behest of Shimon Peres, the late Shimon Peres. Um, and visiting the Knesset. It was just like this a surreal world that I was living in. Um, I, I was working at Fox News at the time and had met Tony Snow, who was the White House press secretary, who introduced me to Condoleezza Rice. And so I have, I have lunch with Condi Rice when she's secretary of state, the State Department. Like it was like all these things were just like becoming more interesting to me
1: than as a socialite
2: than grinding. Yeah, well, not necessarily a socialite, just like being in the circle you know what yeah. i mean like developing relationships that were going to be so much more beneficial to me once i retired than being a football player now i i love being an nfl athlete and i love doing it in new york and having success in new york because it it granted me access to this rarefied circle like these like these these billionaires and hedge fund managers oh, and radio. you know this 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 society in new york that i did i mean i had no business belonging being in but because I was a good football player I, I had access to it and I was able to develop and create a lot of relationships and so it's it's come point I just said look I I, I, I want to explore this you know football's great but I want to explore this and it became more important and that's ultimately why I walked away. Cam Newton. Interesting <laughs> man. <laughs>
1: Do you last question? Cam Newton, um, he's a guy that you know was a fashion, has become a fashion guy, and you know socialite in a way, like you said. Um, yeah. Where do you, where do you see him fitting um, on an NFL team? What, what team would suit him best?
2: Yeah, this is a tough one too. Um, my gut is the Patriots, but I don't know if it's going to happen until we get much closer to the season. Uh, the Pats have many directions that they can go in. They can groom Jared Stidham, who's a pretty good athlete. And we know Josh McDaniels is looking to evolve that offense a little, uh, a little bit. Uh, so they can groom Jared Stidham, um, or they could take a shot and, and wait for next year's quarterback crop. The problem is there's only like two or three that are really good. Uh, Trevor Lawrence being one, uh, in next year's draft, Justin Fields being, uh, a, a another. And if they're if they're too good, they're not going to get a shot at it. And so they're going to come to a point where I think they're going to have to make a decision on is Jared Stidham our guy? And if he's not our guy, are we going to be bad enough to get one of those better quarterbacks from next year? And if the answer is no for both, then Cam Newton comes into the equation. I think what you're starting to hear is as as good as Cam is or has been and could be if he's not the starter. He becomes a little bit of a, an elephant. Actually, not a little bit, probably a big elephant in the quarterback room because like his persona, like who he is is going to dominate that quarterback room, right? To your point, right? He's going to dominate wherever, whatever room he's sitting in. And if he's the backup, it's just not going to feel right. And so I think a lot of, um, I think a lot of teams and head coaches are a little bit wary of
1: that. Mr. Barber, here's the good news. You're off the hot seat. Ah, I love it. <laughs> that was fun, though, man. That was good chat with you, brother. Man, I appreciate it, and I'm glad we finally got this done. Yeah, man. It's been a long time coming. Yes, sir. All right, man. Enjoy the rest of the day. And stay safe out there. Yeah, you as well,
2: man. Eventually, we'll be back to normal, but until then, stay safe and stay sane. My man. I'll
1: talk to you soon. Yep. Be well. This is Scoopy Radio saying, You bring the coffee, and I'll bring the Dunkin'. Come on! Hold
0: up.
1: so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you.
2: Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues